0: Welcome to the Alt Asset Allocation Podcast, exploring alternative investment opportunities available to the everyday investor. Here's your host, Ben Lakoff. Hello, and welcome to the Alt Asset Allocation Podcast. Today's interview is a bit different. So, I have recorded 19 episodes, so, there's over At this point 20 episodes live on the alt asset allocation podcast all of the transcripts and shows notes can be found on the website but on this episode and i'll have a blog post that goes into much more detail and has all the fun charts that you would ever want i'm going to try to distill the learnings that i've learned thus far so podcasts are really awesome it's been a super fun process to be in this driver's seat so I've had loads of amazing conversations with some very intelligent and very, very interesting people. I've learned a ton. All of these podcasts are about alternative investments. So there's a number of episodes on cryptocurrencies, real estate, and then macro view. So these are zooming out and kind of understanding the picture. And with these, we get into uh, you know, the dollar commodities, gold, stock markets, a little bit of everything within financial markets. And then I have some other ones about other alternative investments so things like investing in startups or investing in royalty payments so a bunch of fun different alternative investments for your palette can you distill 20 hours of interesting conversations into a single episode a single post i'm not sure but i'm going to try i want to start off with how i should invest my money so i often get this question How should I invest $10,000, $100,000, whatever? Most people that follow financial markets likely get this as well. We're always looking for a short, easy answer. I've got this money. Where should I put it? Tell me what to invest in. I want to start by talking about this a little bit um, because this is a very difficult question. Without any context, it's actually impossible. There are so many prerequisite questions that need to be answered prior to giving this blanket, you should invest in this advice that could ever be given. So if you're looking for an answer like that in this post, unfortunately, sorry, maybe skip to the end and maybe I'll give you a little something. Each person's investment decisions and goals in life are very, very different. So if you're thinking through this, I I always encourage people to think about your why. Why are you investing this money? What do you want with it? From that, you can start thinking about your time horizon, how long you want it invested. And then from there, kind of start discovering which assets might make sense for you. The world is changing right now. So we're truly in uncharted waters in a number of different ways I do think that within alternative investments, so this is everything outside of publicly traded markets, that there do exist opportunities to earn significant alpha and have outperformance. These markets are inefficient and there are tremendous areas for outperformance if you know where to look. That's what I'm attempting to do with this podcast is shine a light in these nooks and crannies and let you know about these investments outside of what your traditional broker would ever tell you about. So hopefully in this post and these episodes, especially the ones that are coming up soon, I'm able to give you some of the factors that are changing the investment landscape of today. A quote I heard recently from Robert Reedlove that I really liked. Always assume the market is more intelligent than you because it is. The market is the sum total of everyone's intelligence worldwide. So you can never hope to have that much intellect as the sum of everybody's intellect. You can beat the market here and there, but over the long term, it will catch up. The market is just much more intelligent than you. I think this very much sums the publicly traded markets as there's a lot of very smart people that are looking at this all day long. Now that we've talked about that, starting on a more macro level, I'll preface this by saying, these macro views, the idea is to try to determine what happens in the future. The future is completely unknowable. So nobody has a crystal ball. And in addition, we're living in these unprecedented, crazy times. So these markets can stay irrational for long periods of time. I've had some fantastic macro-themed episodes, and I highly recommend you jump into those if you only wanna to listen to a few of these podcast episodes. If you're looking for more of an overall view of financial markets, start there. So here are a few key pieces of the puzzle that are shaping my more macro view right now. First, debt. I could could not not start with debt. So debt levels globally are insanely high. To give you an idea, global government debt is expected to be $277 trillion at the end of 2020. That number doesn't even make sense to me. If we take that number, 277 trillion, and convert it into 277 trillion seconds, that's the equivalent of 8.8 million years. Jeff Bezos, I've seen some estimates that he increases his net worth by $321 million per day. So if you made $321 million per day, at that rate, you would have to work for close to 863,000 days or 2,364 years to reach this number of $277 trillion. These numbers are just staggering, and the repercussions are eventually going to be felt. These debt levels are very high. We've talked about that. But thinking about the interest levels associated with them. Well, if you increase interest levels, you start this interest-induced death spiral. So essentially, rates will stay very low, if not completely low or negative, forever. Debt and credit have been such a huge part of our lives over the 70 years. It's contributed to a lot of the growth that we've experienced, but things can simply not continue the way that they have forever. Wealth inequality. So some of these second order effects of money printing and this global indebtedness have at least partially led to a pretty dire state of global wealth inequality. In the blog post, I'll have some charts, but the top 10% have 69, 70% of the wealth globally. And the bottom 90% have the remaining one third or 30% of the wealth. Wealth inequality has been exacerbated by the rise of asset prices. So inflation has not been felt to the average person, but uh, the way that the new money has been entering this system has inflated asset prices. While the wealthy own these assets, the poor do not. So it just increases wealth inequality over time. Further, pensions are massively underwater and we have a gigantic generation of baby boomers that are moving toward retirement. Inflation has not been present according to the CPI measurement. But if you open up this bucket and look inside, you see that there are massive deflationary prices, pressure on goods. So this is thanks to globalization outsourcing to cheaper labor and manufacturing overseas. And this is offset by much higher prices in services, medical schooling, for example. So if you take a look at the chart in the blog post, tuition and childcare, for instance, have increased substantially over the past 30 years, as well as medical care. And these increases have been offset by the deflationary effect on goods. Think about your iPhone, how cheap it is now, or a TV. TV is a better example versus 10, 20 years ago. They're much more inexpensive. So inflation has reared its head in asset prices, and this has really exacerbated the wealth inequality. So going forward, that kind of paints the picture that some of these bigger trends that are happening. And it's very difficult to condense all of these macro trends into a single post or a single episode. But the key takeaway is that we're in uncharted territories, and it's very difficult to predict where to go from here. So this money printing, this government debt, these things won't stop. You can't put that genie back in the bottle. But When thinking about how to invest, thinking that you can just invest the way that you've always invested and it will work the same way it always has been working, that's not very likely at this point. There are some really interesting things that once were on the fringes of conversation. They were not the popular topic at the cocktail parties. And now they're becoming more of a possibility. And hey, let's give it a shot. So these include things like modern monetary theory or MMT. I've been digging into this quite a bit lately. Uh, I read Stephanie Kelton's book, The Deficit Myth. MMT essentially is a reframe of government debt. It's no longer debt like a household, that the federal government shouldn't operate like a household with income from taxes and expenses. The key point is as a government, we can never actually run out of money because we issue the currency. So we can never run out of money because we can always print more of it to pay our obligations. Universal Basic Income or UBI, the stimulus that started with the COVID fiasco, well, this was just the beginning, it's coming. Payments to individuals or this monetary policy into the hands of consumers, this is where it's going. How will it go there? My bet would be on a central bank digital currency or CBDC. Most of our money is already digital, but using something like this would enable you, the Fed, to cut out a lot of the middlemen and they would be able to pay you directly. So your stimulus check would come directly into your bank. You wouldn't have to go through all of these middlemen. But further, this would grant them the ability to push fiscal and monetary policy directly into your pocket. So that stimulus payment, perhaps it can only be used at certain in certain categories of spending. So you can't invest that money, you need to spend it because you need to kickstart the economy. Think about negative interest rates. This is all possible. Are you gonna go spend your money if you can see your balance going down every day thanks to negative interest rates? This is coming. I do think that the US dollar is starting to be challenged as a global reserve currency, but what's gonna replace it? The yen, the euro, it's not gonna happen. CBDCs are coming, whether it's a collusion from different governments or uh, the US, but it's likely coming. The next topic is bigger governments. Listen to what I'm talking about. This is the more likely scenario, in fact, as we march closer and closer towards socialism. But what does this mean? Well, we'll see, but uh, definitely increased taxes. A good German saying, this is translated into English, that was brought up by Ronnie Stuferele is Once your worldly reputation is in tatters, the opinion of others hardly matters. So this is so relevant now. Things are completely broken. Why not try something new? Unfortunately, a lot of these things spell the death of privacy, especially financial privacy. Every transaction would be surveilled and tracked. But further, it would potentially hurdle us toward the death of fiat currency overall. Where does that leave us? I'm not sure. Go back to a gold backed dollar, perhaps Bitcoin. Nobody knows at that point. But going down these paths make this a lot more likely. So this is the macro backdrop. Thinking that you can invest the way that you always have in markets that have behaved the way that always have and that this will just continue to work going forward, it's not likely. So. Educating yourself on these bigger things that are happening in the world is so imperative now more than ever. One other interesting thing, one other useful thing is talking about mistaken beliefs that support different bubbles. And we talk about this a lot in the Jesse Felder interview. Originally he had attributed it to George Soros, but I actually couldn't find the link. But What are the mistaken beliefs that help support this bubble? A few that are potentially mistaken beliefs that are hyper present during this time. One, no matter the price I pay, if I hold long enough, I'll always be made whole. Doesn't matter, put your money in the stock market because over a long enough time period, you will make money. Another one, put money in stocks. No matter what, stocks deserve a place in everybody's portfolio. So these are hyper-present. Are these mistaken beliefs? We'll see. These beliefs have driven a massive passive investing bubble, and U.S. equities are overvalued by nearly all measures. So U.S. equities, growth, and momentum have dominated markets for the recent history. Will we see a return to value investing? Who knows? But on a relative valuation basis, there's a lot of value showing up in other markets, such as emerging markets, um, anything in value, commodities, energy. And these have been beaten down beyond belief and relatively speaking, could uh, offer some desirable valuations at these level. A good one to listen to here is all about oil and energy with Art Berman. He is a expert in this field and we talk at length of why you can't write off oil or energy at these levels. Next, zooming out. So that was publicly traded markets. What about total asset allocation? Well, the 60-40 asset allocation. So this has been the standard for investing. You have 60% of your assets in stocks and 40% in bonds. And this is how people think in some iteration of that. This is changing, bonds are at zero. Uh, They're not performing the way that they should perform in a portfolio. I highly recommend listening to Vincent Dillard on the death of the 60-40 portfolio episode. But if this 60-40 portfolio asset allocation is changing, where is that capital going? Investors go out on the risk spectrum for diversification. But either way, they want to replace that bond allocation. Gold comes up in a number of my episodes. I've actually written an article on the website entirely devoted to this yellow metal. Gold likely deserves a place in most people's portfolios. I've always been a Warren Buffett fan, and he was never a fan of this yellow metal gold. So Growing up, I've always invested in cash flow producing assets like stocks and never really was that interested in gold until I actually went down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and started questioning everything about money. But that's a whole nother story. In times of uncertainty, economic uncertainty with inflation, which is likely on the rise, perhaps it makes sense to have a little bit, if not more gold allocation in your portfolio. It's been a store of value for thousands of years. It's under-owned across portfolios and it's relatively undervalued versus other assets. There's a great interview with Rob Price on gold's place in investment portfolio. And we also talk at length of, at why Bitcoin may offer similar attributes. After doing nearly 40 of these interviews, I don't understand how all roads don't, roads don't lead to gold or at least a more sound version of some sort of money, and that inflation is going to come, and it's going to come in a very extreme way at some point in the future. Next up is cryptocurrency. So there's a number of episodes on cryptocurrency. I've tried to keep it a little light. This is something, this is where I work. This is something that I'm very passionate about. So I've broken this up in the blog post in between cryptocurrency Bitcoin and cryptocurrency other because that's a very large categorization, uh, just saying cryptocurrency in general. So I'll give another Robert Breedlove quote. I listened to one of his podcasts and I really, really liked it. I'll link it in the show notes of this podcast. Robert Breedlove described Bitcoin as a non-counterparty insurance policy on the legacy central banking system an insurance policy that becomes more valuable the more dollars they print. I think this is a fantastic description, exactly what Bitcoin is. And the fact that Bitcoin has outperformed every other asset class on the planet for the last 10 years, what does this say about the confidence in the current system? And of course, this is Adhering to that definition, perhaps it's just another risk asset that has been inflated and pumped by extremely cheap and abundant money in the world. It's one or the other. In terms of investment, and I've said this many times on the podcast, but for the wealthy, there are two gigantic things to be scared of, hyperinflation and confiscation of wealth. Judging by the route we're going, the probability of one, if not both of these, is getting higher and higher every day. So Bitcoin offers a potential life raft to both of these problems. Yes, it's a 12-year-old asset. It's highly speculative and volatile, yes. But the stakes have gotten simply too high, in my opinion, for an investor to hold absolutely zero Bitcoin in their investment portfolio. I advise people all the time, put something like 1% of your portfolio into Bitcoin. If it goes to zero, which it's highly improbable, but not impossible at this point, you're not going to starve. You're not going to hurt too badly. But the chance that it goes quite a bit higher from here, it's pretty good. I've listed a number of significant events that have happened in the Bitcoin realm only in November, but there seems to be a lot of increased interest, especially from the institutional side in Bitcoin, as more of a store of value, a millennial version of gold. So boomers are investing in gold, millennials are investing in Bitcoin. There's a very good episode that I highly recommend that I'll also link in the blog post comparing gold, and Bitcoin in an investor's portfolio. Make sure and check that out. Next, cryptocurrency, non-Bitcoin. So again, there's so much happening within the cryptocurrency category. Uh, and these things are not only very, very interesting, but potentially very lucrative from an investment perspective. So there's too many to follow, but some examples, uh, some wild examples of just uh bits and pieces from the different episodes I've done. So you can purchase personal tokens, almost like an income share agreement or investing in a person, like the Teal Fellowship. You can invest in digital real estate and bet on the oncoming, and bet on the coming metaverse. You can lend your crypto and decentralized finance or DeFi and earn over 100% APY or you can purchase and store, collect digital art. I actually believe that something like digital art facilitated by NFTs, non-fungible tokens will be very, very big in the future. I've written an entire blog post on why I think digital art will be huge. It's also linked in the blog post, but I highly recommend listening to the episode with Devin Finzer of OpenSea to get a good overview of NFTs potential overall these things are going to be huge. Lastly, real estate. So there's a lot of different ways to have real estate exposure in a portfolio. Each one comes with its pros and cons. I've been a fan of Fundrise for some time, which is a publicly non-traded REIT because it's easy and it's relatively liquid. I find agriculture and farmland investments to be extremely interesting and think that the acre trader episode is a good one to start with, but they are opening up a lot of doors with their platforms for investors to get access to this previously quite hard to get asset class. I also am very interested in single-family rental properties. I think these make sense in a lot of investors' portfolios. Uh, my biggest issue there is the lack of passivity, and it's actually quite a bit of work to own manage these. Uh, A portfolio of rental properties. They're certainly not passive. Assuming you could find some greater than 10% cap rate single family rental investments in the U.S. and you're okay with some admin work, these likely make a lot of sense for the long term. With these, I think looking at linear markets or non-cyclical markets, ideally buying in a warmer part of the U.S. would probably be a pretty good investment over the next 20 years. You're buying this thing for cash flow today, uh, and in less so for capital appreciation. I think buying in a warmer place um, with the aging boomer generation; these people are going to be moving into these warmer clients. I think the real estate could do well there. International real estate is something that I continue to be very, very interested in. Um, I, I'm a big fan of flag theory. There's also an episode coming up on that. But buying assets in another country. So you're further diversifying your asset base from only one jurisdiction like the U.S. There's not as many tax advantages for the U.S. investor versus buying domestically here in the U.S. But I really like the idea of geographic currency diversification. I'd love to have a real estate asset and rental income in another foreign currency. There's a number of other alternative investments included on these first 20 episodes. So uh, you have things like startup investing. You have a podcast with Patrick Henry. He's raised a ton of money through all the different methods possible. And he's a legend and shares his great advice on how to think through these different methods, which ones to choose, pros and cons of each. It's very good. I have episodes about investing in startups with uh, WeFunder. So this is not just equity-based investing. They have a bunch of other offerings through debt and and other sorts of structuring. Acquiring private service businesses, kingmakers, this is a very interesting one. Uh, Valuations are relatively cheap and there's some macro trends at play here. So you can pick up these smaller service businesses for three times EBITDA they could be a potential cash cow. And if you're willing to roll up your sleeves and do the work, you could roll up a few of these and have a really nice, tidy little business. Episode number five, private credit with Cadence. Uh, This is a fantastic platform. So if you're looking for these short-term high-interest investments, so there's plenty of one to six-month investments. It's all private credit. And it's around 10% APY, so pretty good offering there. And then additionally, we have one, episode 10, about investing in royalty rights. So it doesn't get much more diversified than that. It's not tied to public markets if you're investing in royalty rights from music. Very different and a fascinating investment class. Okay, so there is a lot there But this is 20 episodes, each one's about an hour. And in reality, I'm summarizing a bit of what I've learned from the other 20. So over 40 hours of recording these things, thinking through them, doing research beforehand, and talking with experts in the field. So a good Mark Twain quote, another one. It ain't what you don't know that gets you in trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. Financial markets are not easy. There are loads and loads of intricacies and things moving around at any given time. I do know that with markets moving the way that they are, you can invest like you always have, for example, a 60-40 portfolio, or you can educate yourself and think more broadly about some of these trends and how they'll impact your investment portfolio. That's it. 20 episodes. The recap episode. So. Thank you so much for listening or watching. This whole process has been super fun, very insightful, and I'm loving all of the feedback that I'm getting from you guys. So please, please keep it coming. If you find this helpful, please share it with someone. If you're feeling extra nice, please leave a review on Apple or subscribe to my YouTube channel. I really appreciate all the support and I look forward to providing you with a bit more investment clarity, especially with alternative investments going forward. Stay healthy and good luck. Thanks again.